Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will read verses 5 through 11 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And first we will petition the king to give us eyes to see. <clears throat> Father, we come on this glorious day that you have given us and that you have graced us with. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you have drawn us this day. That you set our hearts to you. And Father, the things of this world would not be in a distraction or an entanglement this day. But Lord, that this day we would rest in your assurances, in, in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. Thank you, Father, for the amazing things that you do. And Lord, may, uh, may our worship this day be uh, the sweet aroma of Christ unto your nostrils. Father, help our hearts to be filled with the understanding of this text. Father, help our eyes to see, help our ears to hear. But Father, please help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of this amazing thing that you have given us, the redemption of our sins, being reconciled to the Most High God. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree. And in order not to say too much to all of you, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, otherwise such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We are looking at a wonderful text that I have entitled uh, Forgiveness, It's Blessings. And I've laid out here seven, seven blessings that you receive as the person who forgives. Okay, because a lot of times we get into it is that the person who is being forgiven, the person who has committed the offense will receive these blessings because we have been Forgiving. Um, that is true. That is true. But the true blessing is coming from the person whose most noble thing is to forgive. And um, I look around our lives. I look around the church. Uh, I, I don't even have to look outside of, you know, the, into the secular society. Uh, but I look at the evangelicals and... Um, Forgiveness is a rare commodity. I don't have any other way to say it. Uh, many of the things that you see in the church today that are tearing at its fabric is, is the lack of forgiveness. Um, and and that's, that's truly astonishing if you think about it. Because Christ came here to forgive. And yet, all of a sudden... 
we we don't want to do that. And, and, and I don't understand it. And I look at this text and I see about the Apostle Paul and I think, what a godly man. What an amazing man that this Paul was. And yet the heartache that was inflicted upon him by the church. Um, and, and yet I can look around and I, and I see the, the squabbles in churches uh, and, and in, in relationships of, of quote-unquote believers. And, and I sit and say, most of this is, is on the basis of pride. Somebody got their ego wound up is basically what it is. And then I think in the community of Christ, who deserved a greater ego than the Apostle Paul? I mean, he only went to the third heaven. <laughs> I mean, and the things that he saw there, he says, I'm not even allowed to write. But even the Lord understood it because the, the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. A messenger from Satan. So that he would understand that God's grace was sufficient. Why? Well, if I'd been to third heaven, it would be hard to keep me on a rational plane. <laughs> it would. I'd, I would be completely intolerable. Okay. I know. My wife says, you are now. <laughs> what do you mean, would be? Uh, but but you, you, you look at some of this stuff, and I sit there and I think about this man. And you and I, this day, are fruit of this man's labors. I don't care how you cut that thing. And that is amazing. I remember when we were meeting with Pastor Paul, and Pastor Paul had the opportunity to go visit the people that brought the gospel to his people. Okay? Um, you know, each of us have had people in our lives that brought us the gospel, but we have, can't really say that, you know, I kind of hung out with Paul. Now, I do spend a lot of time with Paul, but it's just his letters. And when I, I think about this man and what God and how God used him, how could anybody bring an accusation against him? And yet he's attacked today. Um, I hear it um, in different texts that he penned that that was just his bias. And yet Peter said, Paul's writing scripture. <laughs> so I guess the bias would be God's. But, but you read these things and you hear these things and it's always been there. And that is what has happened in Corinth. Uh, what happens is you find the man of God who stands on the word of God, who proclaims the truth of God. And if they can't find sin in his life, if they can't find false doctrine in his life, then they're just going to try to attack his character. The Apostle Paul was attacked for the fact that he had planned on coming back to Corinth and hadn't been able to get back there. And therefore, if he's making these plans, but he's not come back to see us, then how can we depend on what he's teaching us? Now, people would say, well, that's just petty. Uh, yeah, it is. But I've had people leave this church because I didn't wave at them when they saw them down on Wilcox. 
Okay, I, I had a person here recently that left because they saw me coming out of the liquor store. I was bidding on changing out the lights. And he, he came out of the liquor store, therefore he must be what? Trying to get my laundry done. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that ain't where you get your laundry done. I thought that's where you got your... But, but you, you sit and you see this kind of stuff and you think, well, that's, that's silly. But then I look at it and I say, you know what? <sighs> Nothing has really changed. I mean, when you think about it. Now, please don't run out of here and say that Terry's comparing himself to the Apostle Paul. Um, for one, I'm not Jewish. Uh, for two, I have not been stoned and left for dead. And I am not worthy to tie the laces of the sandals of the Apostle Paul. Um, but um, when, when I look at this text and I see how he did it, you've got to be moved. Verse 5 is that it will deflect. Pride. The, the issue is they attack the Apostle Paul. If I can attack his credibility, then I have an inroad and t- then of attacking his message. Okay. See, the Apostle Paul had one thing wrong that I have the advantage of. All right. I have the word of God. He was still in the process of writing it. All right. So it was basically he had the ability to do miracles that would validate what he's doing. But you don't see him running around healing the dead and walking on water and feeding 5000 and things like that. He was just preaching with power. All right. I have the ability to preach, but I have the ability to validate what I'm saying by his written word. All right. Paul didn't have that. Um. When I look at this, I think about how God used this man. And I think about the case for pride. And, and I think about the church today and how she has no discernment whatsoever on pride, whether individually or collectively. And, and it's a tragedy. It, it is a tragedy. Um, here he says that, it didn't really cause me any sorrow. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. You know, uh, there's been times in my ministry that I have been attacked and, and, and I've had people come alongside and say, well, you know, there, you shouldn't take it personally. It is because of your stance for Christ. And, uh, and in one case, the man had the same thing had happened to him. And I said, well, did you take it personally? And he just smiled real big and said, well, of course. <laughs> I said, well, then your counsel's not working. Uh, because you... you you can be hurt by other people. But Paul says, I'm not going to allow that to be a burden. I'm not allow that to be a wedge. I'm not going to allow that to be a distraction. And I don't want any of you to allow it to be a, a distraction. You also see that that is a man of humility. I've had the privilege to speak and, and set at length with a number of tremendous preachers And one of the things that is amazing to me is that they are all so extraordinarily humble. I mean, in an astonishing way. And I thought, wow, man, that's 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 strange. (laughs) Because the pulpit is not immune to pride. And in some cases, it is a uh, 
a stumbling block because of its pride. But you also see there that it is an ability in verse 6 to show mercy. Yeah, it's sufficient that the punishment was inflicted by the majority. Why? The church came together, united, and said what you did was sinful. And in the process of this, this man has come to repentance and the punishment was sufficient. We have a tendency at times to want an extra pound or five pounds or 11 pounds or something of flesh for the affliction. And if you think about it, people who have hurt you or who have sinned against you, uh, you tend to want a little more retribution than it is actually necessary. And uh, the Apostle Paul said, that's sufficient. Show mercy. But you also get to restore joy, verse 7. Contrary, forgive and comfort. Because we don't want to be overwhelmed by excess of sorrow. The word overwhelmed there means to literally drowned. We don't want them to be drowned in sorrow. But we are to forgive and comfort. And comfort literally means lift the burden. It's it's sort of like we don't mind binding a person to their sin. But we have a devil of a time loosening a person from the change of sin. Now, maybe you guys don't, but I'm sure that some of you have stumbled on that when a time or two, you know, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you have you ever watched the interaction between your kids um, and uh, and you, you see that at times it becomes this war and you're like, wait, wait a minute, but it's. Two prides have jumped up. I've seen it in the marriage relationships when two prides jump up that uh, they get after it. And, uh, and you watch it. And when there's a lack of forgiveness, there's a lack of joy. And, and you, you guys know the people I'm talking about. You've seen them. You've run into them. You know the ones. They're just a blast to be around. I mean, you'll find yourself moving to a different aisle in the checkout line or at the grocery store because that person ain't got no joy. And I, yick, that's a biblical term there, yick, all right? But but you know what I'm talking about. You There's people in our lives right now that you just think, oh, man, you got misery incarnate. And, 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 and they want to share it and they don't want anybody else to be joyful. I mean, it's, you know, I, I was talking to the Russians. I've told you this story, but the, the Russians don't smile. I mean, they just, and, and I, I, it drives me nuts. But the Christian Russians, they'll smile. And, and it's a blast. I mean, you can, you can go through Moscow's 35 million people. And you can spot Christians all the way across the street. Why? They got a grin on them faces. I mean, even the people who are drunk ain't smiling. And you just sit there and go, man, you guys got a serious case of you. All right. And, and, and I talked to, I was asking one of the translators in Moscow one time. I says, how's come these people don't smile? I mean, you've got freedom now. You're out from under the communism. You've got some kind of quasi-capitalism, you can make money and you don't lose it all. And the guy says, we don't trust people who smile. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's why nobody gets near me when I'm walking around in Moscow. I'm smiling, they don't trust me. (laughs) Okay? But I, I see the fact that I have been forgiven 
The Apostle Paul sees the fact that he had been forgiven. How can he not be a forgiving person? And yet we fight with it. I know that we do. I have heard it. I have seen it in this church. Where we get a hold of something, a burr under the saddle, and I ain't letting it go. All right? And what you watch is the lack of joy in all of the people involved. But we who forgive have the ability to restore that joy. Verse 8 says we are to affirm the love. We are to make it public. If you're going to punish somebody publicly, then when restoration comes, you are to affirm your love back publicly. It's You've heard it said, you know, I don't even like you. You know, I, 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 I love you, but I don't like you. And that's those people who, um, yeah, I forgive you. Just stay out of my life. I hate to break the news to you guys. That's not forgiveness. By any stretch of the imagination. Because what we get into is that if I forgive them, can I get a guarantee they won't do it to me again? Okay, let me ask you a question. Did you guarantee Jesus when he forgave you that you wouldn't do it again? And how well did you keep that guarantee? All right, and we are followers of Christ. All right, so we affirm our love. Why? We forgive as if it is from the, as far as the east is from the west. You know what that means? You can't comprehend it. If I can't comprehend it, then there isn't this, I'll forgive you, just stay over there. That's not forgiving. It's not forgiving. We also seen last week that it is used to prove our obedience. We have a tendency in the body of Christ. There's certain things when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ that we don't mind doing because they're not that hard. Just a few things out there. Okay? I mean, I, I go to church on Sunday. Well, I don't forsake the assembly together. It's a habit of some. Um, but you know one of the things that I was thinking about? There's a text in the same letter to Hebrews. Okay, it says you are to submit to your elders. Okay, this is in reference to the leadership of the church. Okay, and you know what I don't see in the church in America? Is that. We don't. Why? Well, what do they know? Okay, well, let me ask you a question. If you go to your doctor and your doctor says you've got a spot on your lung or on your stomach or something like that, and I need to go do a test on you, do you submit? Or do you say, what do they know? Well, what about the guys who are supposed to care for your souls? Only for eternity, by the way. And I don't understand... And you think that I'm making this up. Why would churches go out and get a complete stranger to be the caretakers of their souls? Send us your resume. Uh, there's a church that has, a few years ago, they said that they believed I was supposed to come there and be their pastor. And uh, I said, that's funny. Um, God didn't tell me. Um, I didn't get the number or something. And, and so I told them no. And they said, well, we believe that you've been called. And I said no. And so they went and found another person. Okay, well, I just found out that uh, this other person isn't quite working out. 
And I said, well, I mean, where did this guy come from? And they gave me all these credentials. And I said, so basically you heard him preach three sermons and decided he should be the caretaker of your soul. You ever thought about that? That's kind of crazy. Now, if the person lifts up the word of God and exalts it, then it should have an effect on his life. All right. But we sometimes struggle with submitting to that leader. And yet, who puts the leadership in the church? So how well is your submission to Christ if you won't submit to his leadership? You know, and I've had people come, you know, I need you to pray about this. Would you give me counsel on this job or this situation and things like that? And I do it and they do a complete 180 off of what I tell them. All right. And then they end up in a train wreck over here in a ditch someplace. And they're mad because I don't come over and get them out of the ditch. I was trying to keep you out of the ditch. <laughs> okay. So you get over in the mud, <laughs> get yourself out. You know where I'm at. And I've seen this over and over. We struggle with obedience to the difficult things. Because our ego steps up and we think we know it. Okay. The Apostle Paul had a problem with John Mark early in his ministry. And Barnabas took John Mark and he took Silas and we separated our ways. But at the conclusion of Paul's ministry, he asked Timothy to do what? Bring John Mark. I can use him. Why? Because he told Timothy he has been proven. We looked at this last week. And he has proven obedience. You know what that means? You know, Timothy is remarkable because he took him out as a young man and had him circumcised. Why? You need to do this because we're going to be ministering to Jews. All right, I want to take you on down here to verse 10. But whom I forgive anything, also I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Okay, listen. He's saying, look, all this is is Paul's humility raising back to the surface. Here it is again. He says, look, if you're forgiven the man, I have forgiven the man. The penalty we all agreed on, the repentance you've seen, the forgiveness you stepped forward in, and I have already forgiven. And, and it's that I am of Paul, people. This was a divided, fractured, torn up church that was in the process of coming back. And he says, I don't want the Paul party um, that we got to keep on busting on this guy. You know, the, the fan club. You know, they really hurt Paul. Paul says... It's over. It's sort of like that little cartoon. And I remember it, it was at the movie. It's in the past. And, and there's times we don't do that. It's in the past, but it's not real far in the past. He's, he's repented. Forgive him. By the way, I have too. I already have. I join with you in that forgiveness. Who was the point of the, of the offense? Paul. He says, I've already forgiven. And then he throws that little phrase in there and says, if there's anything really to forgive. That is the humility. It's not that big a deal. And yet they were attacking the Apostle Paul's character. 
And what they do is they come in, and if I can get into his character, then I can throw his message out. If I can throw his message out, then I can bring in my message. And now you start opening up to false teaching. After all, he was the one who was offended here. Paul is saying, it's done. It's done. All I want you guys to do is get together. Listen, this church had some problems. I mean, you read the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians and you sit there and go, gee, many crickets. Why would you call this thing a church? It, it sounds like a, a parliament. <laughs> Yeah, probably shouldn't go down that road, should I? Um, but it, you, you look at this thing and you think, he wants the unity back. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing greater than to see a body of believers who are absolutely unified living in the forgiveness that has already been bestowed upon them. Because when you have your forgiveness running, where's pride? You ever thought about that? That's amazing when you think about it. Paul says, I just want the restoration. Whatever I may have forgiven, I did it for your sakes. I I put it away. I let it go. It's no big deal. You confronted the issue. The issue has been taken care of. I want to set that aside. I want to make sure that this man can be fully, immediately restored. That's what the Paul is telling you there in verse 10. That's amazing if you think about it. But I want to show you something here because one of the things in my time that I spend with the Apostle Paul, and and I've seen some strange writings about this. He says, if I forgive anything, I did it for your sakes. Okay, why? I want the church in Corinth that had all of these fractures in it, to come back to the restoration that it had at its founding. I want it to be one. I want it to be restored. Even this guy. But then he adds this. I forgive anything. I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now, I watched some guys and, and I read some commentators uh, on this. And, and, and they were trying to tell me. That this is Paul taking an oath. My forgiveness, I swear to God. Well, that's not exactly what this text is telling me. All right, and I'll show you. One of the things that I have learned about the Apostle Paul, he uses this phrase, in the presence of Christ. Paul lived his whole existence He was consumed, so aware at every moment that everything he did, everything he thought, everything he said, Christ knew. Now, we intellectually have ascended to that. We, we understand that God is omnipresent. He knows the words before they come out of my mouth. He knows my heart. He knows the hairs of my head. And, and we know that, you know, he sees all things, knows all things, and is all things. Da, da, da. And we do all that. But you know what? Watch your lives. You live your life that way? That every thought that I allow, 
Christ knows it. Every word I say, Christ knows it. Every deed I do, Christ knows it. Paul says, I know I live my whole life in the presence of Christ. Whole life. Now, I don't believe this is an oath, and here's the reason why. Drop down to verse 17. For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. He ain't making an oath there. He's saying, hey, when I get up and preach, guess what? Guys there. I remember one time I, I had to do a, preach a sermon in front of Stephen Olford. I'm still in counseling over that. And um, they, they asked me, well, where would you guys? There was, I think, 11 of us. We each took turn preaching a message I'll be all, in front of all these pastors. And Olford is there. <laughs> and they, I, you know, I'd gotten in my hotel room and I was there. And they said, well, where would you like to go? And I said, first. <laughs> and they said, why? I said, because I don't want to spend three days here going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Okay, just let me do it and I'll be done with it. And uh, so I, several of the secretaries there, uh, I kind of hit it off. They all have that southern drawl, and I like to play with that. But anyway, um, <clears throat> the one secretary came up. She says, you know, we gathered this morning. It was time, it was time for me to preach my message. And, and they said, uh, uh, we all got up this morning early, and we all came together, and we prayed for you. And I said, I hope it works. <laughs> and, and, they, and they said, well, What's the big deal? Every Sunday or every time you preach, you're preaching in front of Christ. I said, yeah, but you don't see Christ sitting down there taking notes. <laughs> sitting a little bit of a white head sitting there going, critiquing your sermon. <laughs> I said, there's a big difference. All right. But you do. You know, as, and I've told you guys before, the day that I can come up here and preach and my, I'm not nervous about it. And my hands ain't sweaty about it. That's my last sermon. The day I stand, can think I can stand up and speak before Christ for Christ. <laughs> You think you're adequate for that? Then you need my job. Because I know I'm not adequate for it. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Speaking of ministry and not losing heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. But by the manifestation of truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience. In the sight of. God. See, Paul was overwhelmed by the realization that everything he did was in the sight of God in presence of Christ. It overwhelmed him. He told Timothy in, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, or exhort with great patience and instructions. Why? You do it in front of who? In front of God. In the presence of Christ. In the presence of God. Aware of everything you do. Did you know that? 
You know what's annoying about that? He knows the thoughts. But maybe that's not annoying to you. That's annoying to me. Uh, It's one thing to guard your actions. We do that, right? We can guard our actions. But there's every once in a while, I know, know, as you notice, thoughts don't stay with me long. They just, (laughs) look at kicking. Um, But you see what I'm trying to get at? That that annoys me. That is more terrifying than, than actions. Because he knows where the motive is. And he's, what? Sorry. And the Apostle Paul understood this. And when he's looking at forgiveness, he's saying, I'm restoring this fellowship because I want it done in the presence of God who sees and knows all things. I live my life realizing, Paul says, that Christ Jesus is present all the time and he is eagerly and he is anxiously forgiving this individual. Therefore, I will because I have been forgiven by Christ, the God in whose presence I live. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. I want to please my God. I want to please my Lord. And I am in his presence at all times. At all times. Paul is telling you and I, I eagerly forgive. All of my forgiveness is for your sake, brothers and sisters in Christ, because God Knows that. That is amazing when you think about it. Paul is affirming. The integrity that people were challenging him on. See Paul backs away instead of saying. I swear to Jesus. Paul backs away and says. I know that everything I do is in his presence. Now you and I intellectually ascended. Yes, amen brother. Okay, but think about what you do on a moment by moment basis as you go through the grind of life and tell me that you're aware all the time that everything is in the presence of Christ. The other day I was in the shower. I have a little shower stall thing. And it's my house is old. It was built in the early 80s. And I was just taking a shower. You kind of got your head going for the day. Here's what we're going to do and all the rest of it. And I just turned around and looked down like that. And the whole little corner of the tiles is all pushed in. In the presence of Christ. (laughs) You know, I know what that means. I just look at it and go, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Right? I mean, you just look at it and you think, so you're stupid like me. You start pushing on it and saying, how big is this thing? Oh, Oh, great. All right? I'm supposed to be going out of town. I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm just, Jesus, you know my thoughts. (laughs) Set her on fire. (laughs) Let somebody else... (laughs) Somebody else build it back and I'll move in when I come back. (laughs) Okay? 
Do you know that you do that in the presence of Christ? That's amazing stuff when you start thinking about it. That's an amazing stuff. I had a motorcycle I worked on, and this thing is a piece of junk. Oh, it is, man. I, this guy bought looks, and he got looks. And as long as you want to just look at it, it's fine. But if you want to ride it, <laughs> you, you got a whole different adventure coming up. And this thing is just driving me nuts. I mean, it's, I was riding down the road. I finally got it running right. I'm riding down the road trying to get it to blow up. That's what I was trying to do. But anyway, I'm riding down the road. And all of a sudden, the mirror just blows off. You're like, well, that's just something you don't see all the time. <laughs> so you stop. And I pick it up, put it in my pocket, and it had been Elmer glued on there. And I'm like, well, I guess I ought to fix it for the guy. I mean, and, you know, now you're afraid. I don't want to ride it no more. I just, I'll just push it wherever I need to take it because something else. So the other day, a guy came and looked at it. He said, man, this is really nice. And he says, yeah. I said, yeah. So I got ready and I turned the fuel on, flow the switch on, turn the ignition on, hit the start button. It goes, click, 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 click. And you're like, <laughs> And, you know, and pull the seat off, throw a battery charger on her. It doesn't hold charge. I've got, what in the world? The battery's got, in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> so my wife says, when Jesus comes back, they're riding horses. They're not riding motorcycles. Yeah, it might be the one with the dead battery. Um, no, don't worry, Lord, I'll catch up. Um, I share that because, see, you all, we all have things that you sit and you look at and you think, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. And all of a sudden, and it's not. And you know what? You have actions, you have attitudes, and you have thoughts that are in the presence of the Lord. And what he is saying here is, I have watched people say, yeah, you're forgiven. But you can tell by their actions that they're not doing it and they're not restoring any kind of fellowship. The Apostle Paul here says, you know what? I have, if I have forgiven anything, that's such a cute statement. It's sort of like, it's not that big a deal. I said, deal with it. I wanted to see if you deal with it to test your obedience. You passed the test. So I, it's not even an issue or concern of mine. That's amazing stuff, people. And he says, why? Because he says, all that I'm doing, I do where? He says, my biggest concern here, brothers and sisters, is that this man be brought back into the fellowship and be restored as if nothing happened. I want the unity back. When I look at churches today, there's a lot of disunity. There's a lot of schisms. There's a lot of fractures. And one of the reasons that I believe it is, is that people are not dealing with sin. And in not dealing with sin, then there is no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, there is no restoration. And you cannot have fellowship. We call fellowship, or we're going to have a Christian softball team. Brothers and sisters, that is not fellowship. Well, let's have a Christian bake sale or barbecue. That's not Fellowship. That's what is in his heart in verse 10. I forget, if I've forgiven anything, I've done it long ago. I did it for your sakes. Paul says, I just want the church to be united. I'm not holding on to this. I'm not hanging this thing. This isn't that big a deal. Why? We are all in the presence of the Lord. What we do is in the presence of the Lord. 
Listen, where forgiveness, where it doesn't exist, every time you have fractures and schisms, there's no harmony. Why? If there's no forgiveness, then you're operating in pride. Okay, if there's no forgiveness and you're operating in pride, guess what? You ain't got no mercy. If there is no forgiveness, there will be no joy because there's no mercy and there's pride. If there is no forgiveness, there will be no love. Because pride crushes love. If there's no forgiveness, and that means you're operating in pride, it means you have no mercy. It means you have removed your joy and you have no obedience to love. And guess what? You're not really obedient. If you're prideful, non-merciful, no joy, non-loving, non-obedient. How cool is that fellowship? And you know what? Unforgiveness will tear a church apart. That's where you end up with the the 5th and 6th and 7th Baptist churches. Or what we're doing now, we're a community. I don't know what that means. All right? We are the fellowship. And you know what? I see these places and they do not confront sin. And without confronting sin, then there is no restoration. There's a big church here in town right now that had a sin issue come up. Uh, They confronted the sin. Um, You know, the phrase that I heard was kick the bum out. Okay. And I said, well, how do you restore it? And they said, we have no mechanism to restore it. And I said, what do you mean you got no mechanism to restore it? They said, well, our church manual here says this is what we're supposed to do. And we did that. And there's no place in that manual. For church restoration. I said, well, what do you do with the Bible? Because that's what Genesis to Revelations is. Church restoration. <laughs> I mean, whether it was Israel under the old covenant or us under the new covenant. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. This right here, what you we've just been through, is yours and my Greatest single war to the ministry. There are people in the body of Christ who do not minister because their pride is in the way. And their pride gets in the way. They no longer have mercy. They do not have joy. They cannot affirm love. They are not obedient to the things that Christ has given us. They do not have a genuine fellowship. And guess what? Satan is devouring them. We'll look at that next week, eh? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul and the heart of humility in the way he walked. Father, I think and and I pray that uh, I see that you gave him a messenger from Satan to buffet him, to afflict him, to be a thorn in his flesh so that he would rest in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we who would fight against that, if it takes a thorn in our flesh, then let it be. 
But Father, I just come before your throne today to say, as you have forgiven us, Father, may we be known for forgiving. Father, I thank you for this text. I thank you for what it has meant in my life and what it's done in my life. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they will see the blessings of forgiveness. And that, Father, you will pour them down as they step up and forgive. And that, Father, we, you receive the glory even this day. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul and his trials and travails. And, Father, as we look at this book in, in the sense of ministry, may we understand that it is a war. And usually our biggest enemy is just us. Help us, Father, to walk worthy. Help us to decrease as you increase. Father, help us to walk in the humility that Christ walked in. And Father, even as the Old Testament prophet, here we are, send us. Father, we love you and we praise you for what you're doing. And Father, I just pray that your word will go forth to fertile soil and would reap a harvest, even a hundredfold. To your glory. Amen.